slice up that giant roly-poly, wrap it in foil to go if they can't make it in for a quick cuppa. Well, hello, Michelle. Hi, Geordie. How the heck are you? I'm heckin'. I'm heckin' good, thanks. What does that You're even heckin'. mean? I don't know what I'm saying. You're always making up little little things. I love it. I love it. Oh, I'm glad that you do. Listen, Michelle, <laughs> let's just get straight to it. This is a, a podcast, a weekly one, and it's about things like true crime, real life, and the supernatural. You'll hear things about cults. You'll hear things about... UFOs, you'll hear things about goats and you'll hear things about true crime. And that's what we do because we're called Eavesdropping, the podcast, and I'm Geordie. And I'm Michelle. And you're listening to Eavesdropping, which... Yes, makes you an eavesdropper. It does indeed. Congratulations for eavesdropping. They are, they're eavesdroppers. And do you know what? We love it when our eavesdroppers write We in. love that. In fact, we did have some information come from Eavesdropper Jen. Oh! A.K.A. My mum. Oh, okay, because, you know, I thought you were going to say that we had somebody write in, but the only ones we bloody get writing in at the moment are people telling us about our SEO and our bloody websites. Bored of those. Come on, people. www.eavesdropping.com, isn't it? Eavesdroppingpodcast.com. If you want to write in, it's hello at eavesdroppingpodcast.com. Just do it. Put pen to paper or finger to keyboard. Jen, what's Jen got to say? Well, she did send us a link about a cult. Oh. So put a pin in, in that. that because you, it looks like it is going to run and run. She also said she likes listening to the podcast because then she can find out what I'm up to. Oh, Apparently I've been a bad daughter because lately. Because you don't check in. <laughs> sorry about that, Jen. Hey, Jen, I'm sorry that I didn't check in either when I was recently in Australia. By the time I got her message, it was too late. I was gone. But yes, next time I will be spending time with Jen and co. What's the pussy's <laughs> name? Bella? Bella? Bella, yes. Jen and Bella. Bella. Is she interested in cults? Is she, is she thinking maybe that's what she wants to do at this stage of her life? Join one or start one? Well, yes. You know, she's she's got this nice community she lives with. You never know, Jen. You could become the new cult leader of... Why not give it a crack? Kayleen Oldies, yep. <laughs> Why not? Why not? Like, she could do it. She's already Queen Bee, I tell you. I bet she is. Look out. Yes. I have some listener feedback if you'd like to hear. Somebody did write in and it's a regular listener and it's hashtag listener feedback. I got a little message from Rains Park Mark, now of Long Ditton. I hope no one tries to look him up. I'm not going to give his last name. But he says, I can't listen to the eavesdropping theme tune at the end of the podcast because it always gets stuck in my head. I think that's a good thing. <laughs> eavesdropping, eavesdropping, dropping. That one. That's what he's talking about. He can't listen to it because it, it's an earworm. It is an earworm. Good on you, Mark. I have to agree. I was singing the scams. New ditty from the other week. Who listened to our scams episode last week? Hands up. We can't see you. But let me tell you, it's so funny, Michelle. Our scam episode, which we did last week, I got scammed. The very next week. What the hell happened? Well, the very next day after we did, after we recorded that episode, within two days, I got scammed. I had a text. My youngest child, who they all have phones now, my children. Yeah. My youngest had gone to his club with his dad. I was at home with my middle child. And the eldest, as you know, is old and has his own life. And I had this random message that said, 
Hi, Mum. Since I broke my phone, I'm using my friend Samsung. Can you call me on this number? It's urgent. Kiss. Urgent. I thought, that's weird. I imagined my littlest at the squash club and his dad's left or in the bar and he needs something. And then I thought, no, that doesn't seem right. He'll be playing squash. So I thought, well, I better ring the eldest one. Because do you remember, we talked a lot about this last week. You said if somebody is saying that they've got your mum and they've kidnapped you, use another phone to call mum and see if she's all right. And inevitably she will be. So I rang the eldest and he immediately said it wasn't him and it sounded like a mum phone scam. So I looked it up and it's real. And usually the fraudsters will engage with you and ask you for money saying that they're in a difficult financial situation like, oh, mum, I've got no bus fare. Or, you know, which I used to get those texts all the time. (laughs) calls from the real child but then the bank details they'll give you won't match with their own because they'll say that they can't access their bank account because of something that's going on it's going to be long-winded they're going to keep you in a state of high panic which of course I was when I saw that message I immediately went from naught to a hundred so it's very easy to get scammed Michelle thank you for telling everyone last week about all these new scams well my pleasure because I actually remember I had a panic one time because I was on holiday and I got this phone call saying it was the HMRC. Oh, I hate those. Yes. And I needed to pay all this money and, you know, I was going to be prosecuted by an HMRC is um, like inland revenue. Tax it's the tax, yeah. tax man. Of course, you panic. I actually think I did try calling that number. Oh, dear. And then I thought, hang on, when you get a really distressing message like that your your first instinct is I need to put it right I need to ring immediately yes quickly quickly hurry hurry let's make irrational choices in yeah this moment. exactly yeah so and then when I, I remember having a moment I was like nah this is bullshit bullshit so I didn't go through with anything well uh, this mum scam though basically what the advice is don't get fooled into transferring money immediately just take a moment inquire who it specifically is by name Because I have seen some screenshots of other texts who say the same thing that they said to me. And then the response is, who is this? And they'll say, the eldest one. (laughs) And then they'll write back saying, I don't have any kids, so fuck you. (laughs) But you can also call your child Mm. that you think it might be or ask for a voice note before you proceed. Just, you know, take a pause. Just pause. Take a breath. Just think, this doesn't sound like my kid or even if it does be like "Mm, yeah there's no names here what's going on do you think you would have taken a moment I did take a moment had you not done the scam episode definitely I'm always very careful pilot before responding Mm. to anything and usually the first thing I'll do is and which is what I did is swipe across Mm. delete block It's like, whatever. But I took a moment not to do that because I wanted to make sure it wasn't one of my children. (laughs) Well, that's the thing. They pull at the heartstrings, don't they? Yeah. You know, this is why romance scams, mum scams, you know, scams involving someone like loved ones. They're the ones that get you because they know how to cause panic. Or with a romance scam, the whole thing is about building trust. Is it right? Is it fact or is it just my opinion? Can it be both? Don't sue me. 
obviously last week we talked a lot about Madeleine McCann. I don't have any updates. It seems like that's gone cold at the moment. Jerry and Kate McCann are not doing the DNA test. It's been oh. all in the media. Yes, they are. No, they're not. Who knows? So it's a little too early to see where that story is going. However, we did talk about is it a crime to leave your kids unattended? We did talk about that. Did you find out the answer? I did. In the UK, there, the law on leaving your child on their own, well, doesn't really exist because no. the law doesn't say a specific age when you can leave your child on their own. But it is an offence to leave a child alone if it places them at risk. Mm-hmm. Now, see, I feel like that's a little bit chicken and egg because you don't know they're at risk until something bad happens. Right. Well, I was thinking about that a lot recently because there's been a spate of burglaries in my area and they'll usually attack when attack. They'll usually go for it very quickly when there's no cars on the drive. Say you've left your kids at home to nip to the shops for half an hour and that's oh, the God. window they decide to use. Yeah. And I was was thinking if there were no cars on the drive and I was at home and somebody tried to break in through my son's bedroom window, which happened to a friend of mine. She wasn't in, but mm. that did happen what would I do yeah would you scream at them I don't know would you throw things at them get a knife Jordy get a knife don't have a knife they say that that will be turned around onto you yeah I mean the best thing to do is just say take what you want get out here's some euros go away (laughs) euros Well, the thing is, like, so the gov.uk do say you have to use your judgment on how mature your child is before you leave them alone at home or in the car or whatever. And parents can be prosecuted if they leave a child unsupervised in a manner likely to cause unnecessary suffering, injury or death, I guess. (laughs) So there you have it. It's not an actual law. But it's it's not good, guys. It's not good. No, I would proceed with caution in that respect. Definitely think about, you know, I'm very much a catastrophist anyway. I like to think about the worst case scenario and then err on the side of caution. That's how I parent. Well, I've never had to do that. Thank the Lord. So, Geordie, I just have a quick question. Yeah. Have you seen Dan the Postie this week? Yes, I have. I had a little chat to Dan. And I want to get a selfie with Dan for our social media because <laughs> oh. I bet everybody wants to know what he looks like. He's lovely. Dan, I don't know if you're up for that. Your identity well, will be revealed. We're putting it out there. I won't put his last name, but I will tell you something that he did say. He said that he didn't think that he would get into trouble for coming inside for a cuppa. Ooh, Do you remember yes. when we talked about I said he'd have to remove his uniform first? <laughs> I mean, it did sound like you wanted to undress him. Hang on a minute. Remove the uniform, Dan. This is my poster we're talking about. But yeah, so ladies take note. He will not have to remove his uniform. He thinks he can come on in for a quick cup of tea. I don't know how that'll affect his round because obviously he's maybe on a time schedule. I don't know. He seemed very casual about the whole thing. He said, oh, I think I could come in for a cup. I don't see a problem well, there you with that. Go. So there you go, ladies of um, the area. Anyone who has Dan as their postman will know. And now they'll know you can invite him in for a cup of tea if you fancy a chat. Whether he'll accept or not, I mean, I might have to ask him before leaving this in. Well, you might have to ask him. Does it depend on whether there's, you know, jam roly-poly on offer? Is there a nice biscuit with Exactly. That what, what more is on offer, yeah. please, missus? He's not going to ask that at the door. That's going to make him look creepy. But anyway, we did talk about, we had asked... Dan, would you have any great posty stories for me? Well, he gave me something, not a story as such, but he talked to me about the term going postal. Have you heard that yeah, of course. used before? Yes, I have. Michelle, what do you think it means? Well, you, you go mental, you lose your mind. Oh, he's gone postal. 
it's lost it. <laughs> Gone postal. Have you ever wondered no, where it comes I've never from? <laughs> no, I don't know why. Well, Dan told me. <laughs> Why are you saying going postal? It doesn't make any sense. Okay, well, he says it originated in the US because postal workers there usually get a bit of a bum deal when it comes to, you know, bad pay, being treated like second-class citizens, certainly no cups of tea or jam roly-polies around the housewives' houses. So this led to a spate of workplace-related <gasps> violence, Michelle, and that is how the term going postal wow. was born. So yep. I looked it up. Wikipedia <laughs> always is my first port of call. And it said it's the state of becoming uncontrollably angry, often to the point of violence. And then it gave a list of examples of episodes of workplace-related violence relating to Jesus. posties, right, postal more than workers, one. You, in the US only, okay. luckily, for other countries, luckily. The first episode dated back to the 19, well, to 1970 when a drunk Posty was sent home by his mm -hmm. manager only to return even more drunk to shoot his manager oh to death. Oh, my God. That's horrifying, isn't it? I mean, it? to be fair, if the guy was drunk, he should have been sent home. No question. You can't do your rounds drunk. Yeah, but he got cross. He got cross, came back and shot the guy up. No. Not on. Don't do that, Dan. <laughs> no, please, Dan, don't arrived i've never seen dan drunk so he's on I the tea he's on the tea that's why and the jam roly-polies he's on the tea and jam roly-polies so then in a place called edmund in oklahoma mm -hmm. in 1986 that was another episode and it was quite dramatic actually because we've got a 44 year old postal worker called patrick sherrill he chased down and shot several co-workers killing 14 and injuring another six before committing suicide. And to date, this episode was the deadliest workplace shooting in US history. And it's said that this was the incident that kicked off the phrase going okay. postal. Okay, so how many were killed? 14. Patrick Sherrill yep. was the name of the postal worker. He stormed the single-story post office at 6.45 a.m. in the morning. As I said, this is in the United States. Yep. It's in Oklahoma. 6.45 in the morning, he turns up. He reaches into a small mail pouch that he was carrying to retrieve at least three pistols and silently, without a word, began shooting at all his fellow employees. One worker was shot in the car parking lot behind the post office. And the police believe that Cheryl shot the worker, his name's Patrick Cheryl or Cheryl, shot the worker before entering the building and then tried to lock the back doors of the building before opening fire on approximately 100 workers who were sorting the mail and preparing for the delivery that sounds day. like Columbine, but in a post office. Yeah, exactly that. Police SWAT teams entered the post office at about 8.30am after trying to talk him down over the phone and through megaphones and speakers. They found, when they walked in, they found 14 employees shot to death. Seven others were treated for wounds and taken to nearby hospitals for bullet wounds, and two of them were critical. And the background is that Patrick Sherrill was a part-time postie and he'd been there for about a year and a half and apparently his performance ratings were low. So there was a lot of pressure on him. He was worried that he was going to lose his job and there was, like I said, heaps of pressure on him to increase his performance. And also he didn't have, like our Dan, a regular oh. route. So he's been pushed from pillar to post. So I guess conditions were shit. He was worried he was going to lose his job. Apparently, days before the shooting, Patrick Sherrill, he had called union officials demanding to be transferred to another post office. He was yeah. hating it there. 
word was post this shooting, it was a toxic work environment with workers being harassed and put under immense pressure. Now, harassed by their managers, their postmasters, Mm. the people above them, verbally being told to work overtime, all this kind of stuff was going on. It was just a really toxic work environment. And even union officials had said that someone would blow at some point, but no one was expecting the level of violence that occurred that day when Patrick Went postal. (laughs) Went postal. And apparently um, some of the survivors played dead in order to survive. And one called Tracy Sanchez lay in a pile of bodies until police arrived. How horrific is that? There was another one called Michael Bigler who said he lay on the floor as Patrick Sherrill stalked the hallway in the building. And he said he knew Sherrill but didn't Mm. know him very well. And he said he just tried to be kind to him but he responded to everything in a weird way. But I don't know what the background was. There's not a lot of info about Patrick Sherrill generally, like the state of his mental health. Later, there was scenes reported at the city council chambers later after the shooting where the family members went to find out who had Mm -hmm. been killed because there was a list of names on the door. Now, this is where things got even worse. It was a heartbreaking sight, apparently. One family were rejoicing when they found their loved one's name wasn't on the list. But a few minutes later, they found out there'd been a spelling mistake. And then, you know, obviously that joy turned to heartbreak and it was just a horrible scene. So following that horrific incident, there were a lot of smaller scale shootings, but still shootings and deaths nevertheless in California in 1989, in New Jersey in 1991, also in Michigan in 91, two on the same day in 1993 in Michigan and California respectively, and then two more in 2006 and one in 2017. The one in 2006 was in Santa Barbara, California. Do you remember that TV show, yeah. Santa Barbara? It was Bold like and the one Beautiful, of those, um, kind of. Daytime, mm. Bold and the Beautiful style. So I kind of loved that. I thought it was so glamorous. Cruise Well, I love Eden. Bold and the Beautiful. My dad watches Bold and the Beautiful, Boon Boo. No, is it still going? He loves it. Brooke yeah. and... Brooke! is unrecognisable thanks to all the facial work that she's had done. <laughs> I couldn't tell who oh she was. Oh, my God. Back to the misery that happened on this day in 2006. There was a 44-year-old woman named Jennifer San Marco. She had left papers in her New Mexico home with details of a plot involving the Golita mail sorting plant where she once worked. Somehow, she felt that the post office was out to get her. Oh, gosh. She'd worked there for about six years before she was placed on early retirement disability for psychological reasons in 2003. Other postal employees had said that while working there, Jennifer San Marco's behaviour became more and more bizarre and that sometimes she talked or argued with herself or made racist comments, unfortunately. Oh, dear. So she's got some mental health issues, clearly. This lady did definitely have some mental health issues and in 2003 she actually had to be physically removed by police from the plant because of her strange behavior they shoved her in a little trolley like one of those male sorting trolleys and actually pushed her out of the building the police did after they had dragged her out from under a sorting machine (gasps) 
And from there, she was sent straight to a psychiatric hospital for assessment for three days. But no one knows what the assessments were, what the diagnosis were, what the treatment was, where her family is. There was none of that information when I did the research. She was known later to make and distribute a newsletter called The Racist Press. Oh, Hmm. my God. Okay, so she's... That sounds like a a horrible read. It was full of like errors, mistakes and explanations of various religions and a confusing theory that's linking the US government to the son of Sam killer, David Berkowitz, who was also a postal worker. Oh, yeah. Pin that. To the Ku Klux Klan and racist murders. Now, if anybody has seen that documentary on Netflix, what was it called? Sons of Sam. Mm. It's worth a watch because it does talk about postal worker David Berkowitz, who did go down for the crimes attributed to the son of Sam murders. Right. But there is massive links. Did we talk about this on the podcast? Yeah, I think we did. We didn't do a whole episode. Not a whole episode. It's really interesting. What was it to do with? It was to do with couples being murdered, but there was some... Something to do with a dog? Satanic. Yeah, because he claimed that his neighbour's dog told him to do it. But the neighbour's... The neighbour, Sam... I think he had some links to, I don't know. There were some links to things. I'm not going to say it now because I may have it wrong. What's the bet I've got it wrong? Just watch the Sons of Sam documentary. It's really bloody interesting, full Mm. of conspiracy. So anyway, despite Jennifer's history of mental illness, she was able to buy a gun and ammunition from two separate New Mexico pawn shops. Only in America. Unbelievable. So investigators say that San Marco then drove from New Mexico to California, where she crept silently into a condominium home in Santa Barbara and shot to death a woman called Beverly Graham, who was 54 and used to be Jennifer's neighbour years ago. They'd had massive arguments when they were neighbours after Beverly Graham had complained about San Marco's loud singing. Watch out, Michelle. You might upset someone. (laughs) In the shower, I'm going to get stabbed to death. It's horrific. This woman was murdered to death in her home by someone who didn't like it, that she laughed. And this is quite frightening because obviously the woman, Jennifer Samarco, she's on a hair trigger and things are going wrong Mm. for her mentally. No one's stepping in. Later that evening, about 9pm, she then drove into Golita Postal Facilities parking lot. Obviously, Postal workers work long hours, early, late nights, early mornings. She slipped through the gate by following another employee's car. Then she held up another employee at gunpoint and took their security pass. Then she gained entry to the sorting office where she picked off anyone who wasn't white. So anyone of colour was her target. Six people were murdered. Two bodies of employees in the car parking area were found. One was found just outside the door. A fourth worker was found just inside the door, critically wounded. Witness statements claim that she pointed the gun at one woman, but then she'd run out of bullets, so she had to reload, which gave the woman and other workers time to escape. But then she did go on to kill two more people before turning the gun on herself. Now, two months before this incident, Michelle, an office manager of a mental health clinic Darlene Hayes, just happened to be walking past a car park when she saw Jennifer San Marco kneeling at her car in a post office car park talking to herself. So Darlene Hayes asked San Marco if she was all right. And San Marco replied, they pray before they get in. And then she told Darlene what she meant by that was she was talking about her brother and sister who were with her, although Darlene couldn't see them. So obviously she's having delusions. Mm Darlene, who works as a counsellor in this facility, in this mental health facility, 
recognize the symptoms of needing this woman needing psychological help for her delusional behavior. So she called police and called it in. Said this woman, she needs good to be for her. Help. She needs sectioning or whatever it is. So she waited several minutes for the police to arrive. She left the post office thinking the police would be on their way and would help her as soon as they got there. I think maybe she should have stuck around because those police never arrived. And they say they never got the call. There's no record of it. Nothing was done. Had they acted on that call or even received it or whatever, I mean, I don't know whose word we're taking here, she wouldn't, San Marco would never have passed the background checks that she needed to purchase the gun and the ammo. And despite her wildly strange behaviour in the run-up to the massacre, she got lost in the system. People would see her in the street shouting, stripping naked, kneeling, praying, getting furiously angry, all sorts, but no one reached out to her or the authorities to get her the help that she needed. I understand that it looks shocking when you see somebody behaving like that and you don't want to approach But call someone who can. Call someone who knows what they're doing. Call the cops. Call the paramedics. Whatever you need to do. You know, Darlene obviously has come forward to say she did and nothing happened. But it wasn't even recorded. This call went unattended, unnoted. They say they never got the call. Maybe it just wasn't passed up the ranks because they wasn't deemed serious enough. Yeah, and these things, look, we all know that records of things where people can have the finger pointed at them for wrongdoing... Suddenly evidence goes missing. Suddenly things get erased. Right. I'm not taking sides, but, I, you know, we've seen enough Netflix documentaries, Geordie, to know that <laughs> people do the wrong thing when they think yeah. the hammer's going to fall on them. Exactly. So that was the sad, sad story of the Golita Postal Massacre and Jennifer San Marco. But I also want to say that it's sadly not the last of the going postal entries in Wikipedia. No, I bet. You had talked earlier about one lady had gone into survival mode and hid herself under other dead bodies. Yes. What would you do? I fucking don't know. I hate that question. (laughs) I don't know. I hate to imagine myself in that situation. What would you do, Michelle? I think you know what you would do. Look, I think you'd have to play it by ear and read the room, but... You know, if you have to hide yourself under a dead body, I think you'd do it. What if you'd been shot and injured and that pain was incredible and you couldn't help but whimper or cry out? I think you just have to find the strength within yourself to be quiet and play dead. Your body might go into shock and, sh- and start shaking. Well, then you're dead. I don't know. I think your first instinct is probably to run. But if you can't, if you're trapped, I think you just hide or, you know, play dead. I just, I don't know what I would do. Who knows? I'd like to focus my thoughts and plans into preempting that disaster even occurring by making sure that I'm vigilant in my community. Mm-hmm. And if I ever see anybody who's displaying symptoms of any kind of mental difficulties, that I'm to report that to the correct authority. But I don't. I mean, I remember, you know, in Brixton, if I reported every single episode of seeing somebody who was disturbed or who was acting strangely I'd be on the phone 24-7 right but then equally if you see somebody who consistently looks consistently like they need help anyway so where was I that's right it wasn't the last entry into the Wikipedia list a single shooting of a supervisor by a postman in Baker City Oregon who was also stalking the grounds looking for his postmaster to kill he didn't find the postmaster he found the supervisor shot him instead that was actually in the same year as the Golita that was in 2006 there was two in 2006 and then there was a final one that's been listed in 2017 
which was a place called Dublin, Ohio. And there was another murder of a supervisor and a postmaster, which also happened by a postie. So I'm not going to go into those details, but I will say, be nice to your postman. Because you never know when they're going to go postal. You never know when they'll go postal. Exactly. Do you know what? It does make you think you should have that cup of tea ready to go. You should have that jam roly Slice up that jam roly poly. Wrap it in foil to go if they can't make it in for a quick cuppa. Put those chocolates out at Christmas. You know, keep them on Or a fiver. Well, funny that you should talk about that because obviously, you know, I did do some research for this episode. That's nice. Nice of you to to bother. That's great. (laughs) Thanks, Michelle. (laughs) She takes her work very seriously, listeners. I do. I do. I get straight on that duck, duck, go. I'm sure, just like Dan the Postie, there are thousands of very lovely, very nice, friendly posties out there. Who's your postman? We don't hear about him or her. Well, we don't see a lot of the postie because, first of all, the postie has to come up about 200 steps. So... Well, it's his job. Yeah, it's it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. Keeps you fit. They do it. We don't see them coming up and we don't hear them coming up. We just see the mail left in the box. Because I'm in, a, in an apartment building. I don't have a house. So they're not knocking on the door. And if they have to do that, they generally leave a slip and you have to go to the post office. And also, if they cannot be okay. asked coming up the stairs, then you'll also just get a slip. Oh, yeah, you got something. You have to go get it. Come down and get it. We understand it's a lot to come up all the stairs, but it's good for the thighs. <laughs> it's good for the thighs. Good for the glutes. It is good for the glutes. I think we have in the past... We did leave some chocolates out one year and the they were left there for a week. We were like, how come you didn't take the chocolates? It's like, oh, I didn't really think they were for me. Couldn't not believe Aww. that anyone would leave chocolates. They're not used no, to they're it. they're not used to yeah. it. So we don't do that anymore because we don't want people to feel uncomfortable. But we did try to show appreciation. Well, that's lovely. But no, I haven't got a nice friendly postie who give me a cheeky oh. hello in the morning as I deliver my phone bill. <laughs> And uh, I certainly don't have a a nice, friendly postie who'll come in for a cup of tea and a jam roly-poly. But you have no clue who is delivering your mail. Well, this is what I'm trying to say, Michelle, because I had that stalkery one in Peckham, didn't I? Yes, you did. Oh, it's scary. So I did find a case, eavesdroppers, and Geordie, it's grisly. So I'm going to trigger warning this shit. Creepy postie alert. This gets dark. So switch off now if you don't want to hear about this posty murder because it's a juice dropper. Oh, Christ. Yep. I'm just, I'm warning you. So taking you back. It's 1999. I'm just going to preface this. The whole world was going a little bit crazy in 1999, I feel. Going postal? They're going postal. No, they were. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was all that millennium bug shit. People were a little uneasy. Okay. You know, they were a little uneasy. There was this whole doomsday thing. Everyone thought, God, what's going to happen? So I do think there was a little bit of weirdness in 1999. Yeah. Turn of the century. And there was a guy, Roger Frisbee. And it's not... What? Yeah, it's not spelled like Frisbee. I love that. I know. It's F-R-I-S-B-Y, not a Frisbee double E. But look, by all accounts, he was just a bog standard South London postie 
who <gasps> yes look at you your, your face you were like south london oh my, my god yes oh my god is that the guy i had do you think he could have delivered your mail where in south london was it plumstead it's not you. Okay, that's not my postie. No. But it could have been. I mean, he lived in Plumstead. No. I don't actually know his route. Oh. <gasps> they send you anywhere. Okay, carry on. It could. Well, carry no, on. do you know what? I don't think so because, like I said, he was a bog standard postie. He was, uh-huh. by all accounts, sweet and mild mannered and apparently yeah, not totally henpecked. So I don't think oh. it was your guy. Oh, by his wife. Yeah. Yeah. So I think he's just like a gentle, sweet postie who just you know keeps himself to himself does his rounds whatever sometime between january and april of 1999 he got nasty with his wife june and it did not end well for june and by the end of the year 2000 softly spoken roger he was before the old bailey in london for murder Uh uh-uh murder murder so look roger he was 42 at the time he told the old Bailey he just snapped during a really heated row with his wife, June, who at the time was 36 and the mother to his two children, Ruby, oh, who no. was then four, and Lucy, who was just six months old. Oh, shit. The pair had married in 1994, but it seems they did not have a happy marriage. I actually found an account from June's ex-husband when I was doing the research for this. But I'm putting a pin in that because I want to get to that a bit later because it does give some context to this story. But yeah, circling back to Roger, when he was on trial at the Old Bailey, the court did hear that the couple had a really stormy relationship and that June was known to have suffered from depression. It was also revealed that she was a bit of a heavy drinker and Roger he just wanted this quiet life as a postie living in Plumstead but I think June was you know she was a bit of a live wire like I said they got married in 94 but by the time of her death in 99 yeah that's not long five years no she was she was miserable in the marriage she wanted to move the family to Scotland but Roger wasn't into it you know he liked being Plumstead postie and he was like, mm. no, we're not doing it. Then on the night of June's murder, after she apparently had been on a 24-hour booze binge, he just snapped because apparently while she was intoxicated, she'd hit Ruby, the eldest daughter, and oh, no. he just lost his shit. And guys, this is where I need to trigger you guys. Trigger warning. Trigger warning. Warning. Trigger warning. Look out. Trigger warning. Oh, my goodness. Warning. Brace yourself, Mavis. So, at the trial, Roger told the judge that he hit June over the head four or five times with a claw hammer. Oh, I've just heard about this recently, a similar murder. With a claw hammer? Yes. Fuck, man. A man murdering his wife with a claw hammer. Yeah. Was he a postie? This is like a recent thing. No. I don't know. I don't think so. Okay. Well, look, that's not the worst of this case. Horrific. Over the next four days after Roger killed June. Oh. Again, Sorry, trigger. I've got, I feel like I've got Horrible. to just trigger, trigger here. <laughs> There's more? There's more. Oh, God. So he cut up her body. Oh, fuck. Hang on. How many days after? Four. 
Well, over the next four days, he God. he took his time. You know, he. Where are these children? Yeah, I know. It get, it's it's bad, guys. It's bad. I keep having to say trigger, but it's bad. <sighs> Listen, he over the next four days, he cut up her body, and he threw her limbs off the cliffs near Dover. Oh my God. But guys, that's not all. Welcome to England. Yeah, really. It's not even the worst of it because he didn't throw all of her cut up limbs over the cliffs. He kept a few back and he went home. What? How many limbs did she have? Four? Well, body parts. Okay, right. He didn't, sorry, he didn't, he cut up her body and threw, yeah. Bits. Right. Bits, bits oh, over fuck, the cliffs. This is awful, yeah. Then he went back home and he cooked her head. Oh, hands why? and feet in the oven why? and baked them at gas mark eight for a few hours. Gas mark eight? That's low, isn't it? Or high? I think that's pretty high. Okay. I think 10's your, your top. Right. Because he wanted to try and disguise the identity of oh, his wife. Far out. Yeah. <laughs> Roger, Frisbee, what were you doing? What was going through your mind? It wasn't a sudden thing. He snapped. He may have snapped, but then four days later, he's doing all this. Just own up. The thing is, uh, you know, Roger obviously was telling the court this because he took the stand. And these are his words. I have some actual words from Roger from the trial. He says, I got the pushchair out of the car, packed underneath where the bits the baby was in the pushchair. Oh, God. He then said he gave the kids crisps and drinks as he chucked the remains of his wife over the cliff. Like a day trip. Yep. But what's he going to do? He can't leave a six-month-old uh. on a, on its own, you know. Although it's questionable here if you look at what we just talked about prosecuting. I wonder if the kids would have been better left on their own rather than out watching their mum being thrown over the cliffs. Yeah. But he then said the next day... He baked her head, and these are his words. He said, I put her head in the oven. I tried to make it disintegrate, to break it up, to conceal it so it wouldn't look like a skull. I tried to bury it. I put the head in a Marks and Spencer shopping bag. I put the torso in another bag and put them in the boot of her, of June's escort car. He then said he asked his mum to look after the children while he took the dog for a walk. He pulled the things out of the boot and went for a walk in the woods. He said, I buried the skull as best I could with a little hand trowel and I threw the torso into the river. I then went and picked up the children and took them home in the car. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, I told you, I gave you some triggers. You have to listen because I'm telling you the story. I'm so sorry. I'm traumatizing you. (laughs) Because apparently he later threw the torso into a nearby river and buried the head Remember, in the M&S bag for life. In the woods? No. Oh. He buried the head on Sidcup Golf Course oh, in Kent. Oh, crumbs. Okay. Geordie, do you know where that is? No, I don't. I don't play golf. No, but I thought you might know where Sidcup is. I know where Sidcup is, yeah. There's a golf course there and the head was buried there. Oh, God. So Roger then told his family and friends that June had left him. Huh. She'd picked up and left That old chestnut. Well, yeah, him and and the two kids. And it seems that people believed him because... Dawson and others before Mm -hmm. them. Yep. Yep. Because for the next 15 months, Geordie, he went about his life (gasps) delivering that mail, knocking on doors, wanting jam roly-poly and cups of tea. What about her family? Did they not wonder where she was? Yes, they did. 
make inquiries and I will get to that because that ties into a little bit of the story down the line. Yeah. Thing is, after 15 months, and I put a time frame on this because a dog who of was course. digging around, yep, that's what happened. Cup golf yep. course, dug, dug up. up June's baked head Ugh. and after forensic testing, they did identify the head as that of June. Roger, he couldn't deny it. He fessed up. Yeah. He told the police, yep, he killed Probably her. weighing very heavily on his conscience by then. Yes. Now, what made me think there's more to this story than meets the eye is that at the end of the trial, Roger was not charged with murder, Geordie. What was he charged with? He got eight years for manslaughter. Huh? But not murder. <gasps> so what the hell is going on here? What happened? You know, what I don't understand is how this gentle, happy-go-lucky postie yeah. can lose his shit to the point where he kills his wife with a claw hammer, cooks her head, buries it in that M&S bag for life, and chucks bits off the cliffs. Yeah, exactly. What the hell? Like, what pushes you? I did find this article, and it's from a website called thefreelibrary.com. June's first husband, David Allison spoke out to the media about what it was like to be married to June. And the first line of this article is, and this is a quote from a then 48-year-old David. He said, that woman would have driven anyone to murder. She was the wife from hell. He then says, thank God he got off murder. And this is in relation to Roger. Thank God he got off murder. I know what he's endured. He's only done what I could have done, but I walked away from it. Incredible. Is she really that bad? Well, in the article, David, who was a plumber, just a nice normal guy, he says he and June met in London in 1982 and that for him it was love at first sight. He thought she was absolutely gorgeous and a year later they were married. But his family were not on board with June. They were not on board with the marriage. And in this article, he says they could see the warning signs about June long before he saw them. And he goes on to say things like June was always getting fired from jobs. Not that that is a reason to like have a red flag over someone, but something was amiss. Yeah. Someone who can't keep down a job, who's job to job to job. Yeah. You know, at some point you've got to think it can't always be everyone else. It's got to be her why can't she hold down a job so the family were a little concerned about that but also after a few drinks David says June's personality would flip and she would become abusive towards him and just abusive in general right she was an angry not nice drunk he then said he thought that June was demented that they're his words okay and she actually tried to kill him not once but twice how the first time Uh, She came at him with a carving knife. And the second time, she tried to push him down the stairs. Oh, my goodness. As he was carrying their baby daughter. Oh, gosh. And he said that June could be, and these are his words, absolutely terrifying. And that she was extremely violent and was always lashing out. And he also says he was scared that June would kill him in his sleep. Oh, dear. Like, this is a man who's living in terror. But it was in 1986, after June gave birth to the couple's daughter, that things started getting really bad between June and David. And 
apparently David would wake up in the middle of the night to find June downstairs, just awake, watching telly, necking loads of booze. That sounds like postnatal depression to yeah, me. Yeah, it could be. And maybe in 86, that wasn't really... Wasn't recognised. So I think she did have some mental health issues. But one night when David went downstairs to try and get June to come to bed, she flipped and started screaming at him about how she hated men. She hated her situation with him. And David, bless him, he tried to tell her that they were better off than a lot of people. Mm. You know, and the thing is, I actually thought about that. And in 86, you know, they were living through Thatcher's Britain at a time where... It was rough. It was rough for the working class. It was not a time of prosperity for anyone. But he was a plumber and earning decent money. So he was trying to say to them, listen, you know, we've got a good life. Thing is, June did not want to hear it. And she stormed into the kitchen And when he followed her in, this is when he said that was the first time she tried to kill him. She had a carving knife in her hand. She lunged at him, screaming at him that she was going to kill him. And apparently she'd picked up something and wrapped it like a cloth or something and wrapped it around the handle of the knife because she later said she did not want her fingerprints found on it. So she intended to kill him. So she knew what she was doing. Again, though... Sounds like hormonal, depressive swings. It could be anything. She needed treatment. She didn't need murdering. Well, this is David. This is the first husband. I know, but he said he would have if he could have. Yeah. And that's what she deserved is basically what he said. Well, luckily he managed to grab her hand and twist it around, which made her fall to the floor and he could escape. And he says the next day June apologised to him, but he says he'd seen her dark side And he knew that the next time she went on the lash, it could happen all over again. So now he's walking on eggshells. Yeah, and he's not sleeping and things just got worse between them. And the thing is that David says that she was violent, that she would punch him Uh weekly. So she was physically violent towards David, according to him. And she also did things like one time she picked up a chair and like smashed him with it. So... I think she has got some anger issues. Maybe she's also got, like you said, postnatal depression. There's maybe some mental health well, she things needs going help. on here. Rather than being demonised, this woman could have done with her family or her husband stepping in, getting her some help. Well, she's also drinking a lot. And one day while she was on a bender, yeah. like I'd said earlier, she tried to push David down the stairs while he was carrying their daughter. That's unfortunate. And thankfully he managed to grab the banister and save himself and his daughter But it was enough for him to know he needs to get the hell out of that marriage. Yeah. Good. Even though he says part of him still really loved her because he said, despite all the provocation, I never hit her and I was never unfaithful. I loved her. He took the baby with him, I take it. Well, yes. So it was after 11 years, David and June finally split. How old was their child? When was the child born? I I can't remember. But he got full custody of the daughter. And... He did still love her and he was really sad, but he just knew she was troubled. David hoped after the divorce that, you know, that would be the last of all the violence. And there was an injunction against June, whereby uh, she was not allowed to, like, have contact. She wasn't allowed to harass him. Okay. But June smashed the windows of his house. Oh, my gosh. She, like, smashed his car. She left notes for him saying things like, I'll get you. Uh, and she would leave really like 
life-threatening messages on his phone. So, you know, she was at this stage, I think, quite unhinged. Yeah. But it wasn't the first person that June had victimised because apparently June had previously assaulted a guy with a replica gun. She'd also hit a woman over the head with her stiletto. Oh, my God. A stiletto. Stiletto. <laughs> stiletto. That's Australian for stiletto. Stiletto. Stiletto shoe. Yeah. She obviously whipped off her stiletto and, like, cracked this woman over the head. A bit like, what's that uh, movie, Single White Female? I hate <gasps> to be spoilers, but do you remember that scene? Woohoo! I don't remember that scene. That Have you not seen the film? Oh, God. Maybe years ago, I don't remember it. Watch it. All right, then. There's some stilettos in there as well. Stiletto. Apparently, she was uh, on her sister-in-law's wedding day. She called the sister-in-law a fat cow. Okay, well, that's, you know. She's not a nice person. Fat cow. Anyway. That's not very harmful, though, is it? It's not physically harmful. No. But then she met and married poor old henpecked posty Roger Frisbee. Lovely Roger Frisbee. What a, well, lovely until the point where he'd murdered his wife with a claw hammer and dismembered her and threw her off the Dover Cliffs and buried her in bloody golf courses, etc. in front of his children. I'd say that's pretty uh, questionable behaviour equally. Well. I know he sounds like he was driven to it, but Michelle, this lady needed help. I'll tell you a couple of things, right? So apparently June cheated on him and he found out. But he still forgave her. It was with a local solicitor. So I think a lot of people knew just the usual stuff that you can imagine. She was verbally abusive towards him. I think she was also physically abusive towards him. And one time she got his posty uniform and hung it on a door with a noose around the the neck (laughs) and covered it in tomato sauce to look like blood. God, that's dark. It's really terrible. Can you imagine? You come home. Oh. Imagine Dan coming home. Oh, no. And seeing his posty uniform noosed up. We with don't want tomato- that for anyone. No, we don't. Sorry, Dan. Erase that image from your mind. But look, the day Roger snapped was the day that June had been on, I mentioned earlier, 24-hour booze binge. Oh, God. And she'd apparently kicked Ruby. Apparently, too, she had picked up the claw hammer and thrown <gasps> it first at Roger. Oh, so that's why the hammer was there. She'd already made an attempt on his life. When police finally picked Roger up for the murder of June, he said, and these are his words of that day, he said, my blood was boiling. I'd taken so mm. much. She was shouting abuse as usual. I hit her four or five times. It was as if I wasn't even wow. there. He'd lost his mind, you know. Mm. And as we know from the court reports, he then spent four days dismembering June's body with a hacksaw and two filleting knives. <gasps> God. Oh, it just doesn't bear thinking about, does it? I know. And as I mentioned earlier, he put her hacked up body in boxes and plastic bags, put his kids in the car, drove to the White Cliffs of Dover, hurled those bits into the sea before going home to bake the rest of her body. Oh, don't. It seems that when Roger reported his wife missing to the police a week later... The police did, of course, suspect him of having something to do with her disappearance. Of course, yeah. And I think the family, too, thought this has got to be Roger. Yeah. And he was arrested, but he was released without charge after officers went to his home, searched his house and could not find a single piece of forensic evidence to nail him for June's death. Wow. And one officer at the time said about Roger... He was supremely clever. 
He'd covered his tracks and rehearsed his story to the last detail. Oh, my goodness. And like I said, for 15 months, he kept delivering that mail, knocking on doors, probably saying, keep smiling. (laughs) Like... Like your post you said to you was. That wasn't Dan. That was another one. That was not Dan. But, you know, he was just being a nice, friendly postie. But the whole time, he was a killer with a secret. Until a random dog dug up June's yeah, head. 15 You know, then later. Roger was arrested wow. and finally he confessed to the crime. Unbelievable. I know. So, as I mentioned before, eight years for manslaughter. That's Gosh. what he got. And, I mean, he'll be out now. Mind-blowing. So let's hope he's not listening to this podcast, Michelle, and coming after you, delivering you a little something. No, look, he could be a postie again. (laughs) Who knows? I doubt it. He's got a criminal record. But that is the story of London's killer postie. www.eavesdroppingpodcast.com Hello at eavesdroppingpodcast.com Email us a story, share, like, all of that. Follow our social media, like, subscribe, Instagram, Facebook. Yep, you know what to do. At eavesdropping underscore. Got that right. Eavesdropping. You know, the only thing I can say is that um, thinking about death, I've had a few thoughts this morning, Michelle. Because I listened, you know, I was saying recently I was looking for a new podcast to listen yes, to. You find? Well, I found one. I found Kathy Burke, who is a wonderful English comedian who used to be on our screens with a TV show called Gimme, 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 which wasn't the best. It was fun, but it wasn't the best. But what she was great in was Harry Enfield and Chums. She was a chum. Okay. She was Perry in Kevin and Perry. Yes, Miss Patterson. <laughs> she was the little boy that was best friends with Kevin. So she has a podcast where it's called, I can't remember what it's called, but it's something to do with dying and death. (laughs) Okay. The latest episode has Kerry Godleman, another amazing British comedian on, who I've seen live. Yeah. They talk about your death, what you die of. Like, so they have to make it up. What what would it be? Who'd be at your mm-hmm. funeral? Uh, what mm. would you go in? How did you die? And then she has a little calculator at the end. She can tell Kerry when she might die if she wants to know. What? It's good fun. It's a good fun comedy podcast. It got me thinking, Michelle, the other day on the tube, you said to me, should we have a word? I wasn't sure what you meant when you said it. And when I realised that you wanted to have, like the Beacon Twins, a special word or a phrase that a medium will repeat back to us once Mm -hmm. one of us has died, we'll go in and find out if there's life after death, much like Houdini and and Rosabelle did. Yep. If you're a regular listener, you'll know what we're talking about. Or if you're just a person or a human being in the world. (laughs) But... I didn't want to enter into that because I don't like to think about death. I don't like to think about it. And I don't want to try and predict death or anything. I don't I don't like to go there really, but you should. You should think about it. I've recently had my will done, so that's thinking about it, isn't it? But I did think deeper into, you know, you and I having a little phrase or a word that we'll tell each other through a medium later on. But I don't see the point, Michelle, because with our memories... We're probably going to forget what the word is. It's true. It's true. One or both of us will forget the word. I'll be like, I'll be like, was that it? Oh my god, we had a few options. I'm sure that was was it. it. Uh, Oh, that was it. Yeah. Oh my god, you're you're absolutely right. Do you know what? I would have to write that down. I'll tell you what I'll do. I will send you that really annoying bird that I found in Australia. Okay. 
it will come and sit outside your window every day for seven days. And that's how you'll know. Because wherever I am, that bloody <laughs> bird will be there. This one bloody bird oh from Australia. God. Okay, all right. That's the sign. That's the sign. I do think birds are a sign. I always think it. I yes. always think it. But yes, tell me again how it goes. The bird? I can't remember. Is it wakak? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it was. Oh my God. That was it. I'll never forget it Jeez, now. Seven days? Sorry seven days of that. Jesus Christ. I'll be like, yes, you did. Yeah. Now shut the hell up. The minute the sun comes up, that's what you hear. You'll never get any sleep. <laughs> oh, well, thanks for that. All right. I'll look out for the bird. Why not? Now, I think we've come to the end of the podcast now, probably thinking, thank God, aren't you, listeners, after all that horror and horrific noise. But remember a few things. We'd like to part ways with you this episode by saying, just be nice to your postie, number one. <laughs> and number two, wherever you are. Or whatever you do. Just, just keep, keep eavesdropping. 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 Eavesdropping.